All right, Ooh. so we've got. Do you think we need to get a little bit closer for volume? That's what I was thinking. That's why I'm up here. Wow, you're. Well, what are you doing? I'm just hanging Sit out. that booty into the front of that chair, Jill. No way, I'm bringing Inch it forward. It up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too lazy for that. I'm just moving up. <laughs> now we all know something about Jill. Yeah, I'm a little lazy. <laughs> Sorry. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> Hi, we're Kara and Jill, two trainers, owners of Push Fitness, and the hosts of this podcast. During training sessions with our clients, we often tell them to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we're saying that right now to you too. Let's push ourselves. Let's push ourselves to see fitness differently. Let's push the envelope when it comes to self-love. Let's push a new narrative about women and weight. Let's push out harmful ideas about the body that are rooted in racism and patriarchy. Let's find a new definition of fitness that welcomes all people. You ready? I'm ready. Let's Push it. Hello and welcome to the Push Podcast. This is season two, episode four. We are sitting outside. We have our cups of coffee. What does your coffee mug say, Cara? It says, I'm hot, I'm wet, I taste delicious. Coffee. <laughs> Quote by coffee. Quote by coffee. And others. Yeah. <laughs> and mine says, fresh Nazi tears. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> we got these mugs from the Trendy Bee Boutique, which is downtown in Salem, where we live. Mm-hmm. So if you want one, go see Bee. Yeah, go see Bee. <laughs> We're going to go on Monday to get my son a Mortal Kombat mask. Oh, I'm really excited. Fun. Finish it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even know. (laughs) I know. I know. I played a lot of Mortal Kombat back in the day. Yeah. Okay. So I have a funny story. My son is just walking by us. Yeah. See here. I'm not cold. He is, he is in a tank top and shorts and you know, it's spring in Oregon and it's sunny out, but it's like maybe 50 degrees. Yeah. It's cold. And I think he's just the right amount of petty for a teenager that I'm like, you're going to really need a sweatshirt. He's like, no, I'm not. And now he's like, he can't change his mind. So Uh I saw him walk by and he's got like goose flesh all down his arm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, hold it off. I was like, I'm not cold. That's fine. Watch him be back in five minutes. Like the fastest dog walk ever. (laughs) (laughs) Not to mention that he was just in like, what, a hundred plus degree weather. Right. He (laughs) He just came back from visiting his dad in Phoenix. And we're, and it's been like 90 degrees there every day. So, he's, so yeah, this he's, is fine. He's going right into the shady part right now. It's going to be great. And, gonna... <laughs> and <laughs> us being compassionate moms just cackle. Yep. I mean, he, he dug his feet in. So now, I mean, what am I going to do? <laughs> he brought it on himself. Yeah. So what's been going on this past week? You had a, a big presentation. Oh, yes. Yeah. I had the opportunity and privilege of presenting at uh, Willamette University. I presented for 
the students uh, and a lot of student athletes on um, the toxicity of some aspects of the fitness industry and how it interplays with sexual assault. So it is sexual assault awareness slash action month. So um, it was amazing. Like I really, I feel like when I have been doing things like this, it kind of helps me just really step into myself. Yes. Um, I always thought I would be a professor and then I found fitness and loved it so much. I stayed, but now I'm like, I can, I can do like, I can do this stuff too. You're professor fitness. I'm a, <laughs> I like it. So yeah. How about you? You also had a big week. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, I did. So for the last few weeks, um, I have been working on creating a course for the doula learning channel and it is on how to support NICU families as a doula. And I am like super excited because one, I get to make a little bit of money off of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which Good for you. I, I've been told that I'm all about the money. So there you go. Oh my God. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But also um, because I get to, I finally found a way to take my experience of my own journey as a NICU parent, turn it around and help other people. So like when my, my NICU baby is almost three. And I was, I've been thinking for like months, years, like, how do I do this? Like, I don't really want to like volunteer my time. Cause I don't really have a lot of time to volunteer right now. Mm -hmm. Hello, um, three kids. Yeah. So, and I was also <laughs> thinking like, maybe I would make something for parents. And I was like, but you don't really know you're going to be a NICU parent. So it's like, what do I do? And then it's like this light bulb went off and it was like, duh, like reach the people who are helping them. Um, they can prepare for this. So I mm -hmm. created a course how to support Nikki families. It's on the doulalearningchannel.com. It's $30. Um, and I've been told that it's really good. And every time someone uh, purchases it, I get a little email and I've seen lots of emails come through. So it's really cool. I'm excited. That's amazing. And I have seen the course and it is really awesome. Um, so Thanks. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so we had a big week. Yeah. Two of us just doing some badass stuff. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> You like how I decided to go PG on the second part of that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why. I, I suddenly grew a conscience. Wow. <laughs> the wonders never cease. So, anyway. So, let's talk about the topic this week. Yes, we are so excited to talk about this. We are so excited that we decided to record this podcast before we did our workout today. That's right. So, this yes. is our pre-workout right our here. Pre-workout. Mm -hmm. Yeah, getting pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of toxic, it's being in the fitness industry. I think we've missed each other. It's been like 24 hours. I know. <laughs> Longer than that, I think. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, anyway. Um, so we wanted to talk today about our privileges. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to really break it down. And because we believe that unless you examine your own privileges, you really cannot fight oppression mm -hmm. because you're never doing so from a place where you're really squared up with who you are and what mm -hmm. your experiences are. Yes. And it also keeps you from seeing others as a whole person and who they are and what their experiences are. Right. So for us, it was really important to kind of map that out mm -hmm. and 
we hope that when you listen to this podcast, that you'll take a moment afterwards to sit down and map out your own. Yes. So let's take it from the top and let's talk about what we mean when we use the word privilege. Yes. So when we use the word privilege, um, we are not talking about whether or not someone has had a hard life or has faced hard times or trauma or loss. Like that's not what we mean by, by privilege. What we mean by privilege is how you exist in society without having to do anything at all based on who you are, what your skin color is, what gender you are. Yeah. Cause a, a lot of times we have talked to people who, as soon as the word privilege comes up, their hackles go up yep. and they're like, well, I struggled a lot. Like I grew up poor. Yeah. And it's like, well, right. But you haven't had a lot of these other things working against you. And that doesn't mean that you didn't struggle. Right. It just means that maybe the color of your skin or your sexual orientation didn't have anything to do with that struggle. Right. So what we're doing today is we're not trying to take anything from you. We've all had struggles. We all um, have most, basically everyone has had some kind of trauma in their life and we want right. to honor that. But um, even in that, we have to honor our own unearned privileges in order to really recognize those things as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, when we're talking about privilege and we're talking about seeing somebody for their whole selves. There's also another um, term that we want to talk about, which is intersectionality. Yes. Break it down. Uh, intersectionality was first coined by the lawyer Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, she was arguing a case and the, the what, I guess the defense was saying, well, um, they're trying to use all this data on black men to... Um, to disprove what her black female mm -hmm. client was saying. Mm -hmm. And she was like, um, I'm sorry, but th these, my client has these intersecting identities. So mm -hmm. what she was saying is that, that you can't comp compare the, the oppressions of black men and black women equally. Yeah. Um, because mm -hmm. a black man has a privilege of being a man and, and, experiences oppression of being a black person where her client experiences oppression of being a woman mm -hmm. and oppression of being a black person as well. Right. So, um, so we have to look at all of those intersecting identities and it's not just about color. It is, um, and race. It is, it's about all of the, the ways that we present to this world. So Yes. And so what we wanted to dial in on today was talking about body privilege. So what do we mean when we're talking about body privilege? We want to break that down for you by talking about our own experiences and maybe you can find some pieces to relate to. Mm -hmm. Because really um, fat phobia and body size privileges, um, anyone can experience that. Yes. Even thin people can experience mm -hmm. some of the ill effects of fat phobia. And I want to kind of, I want to talk about that as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I just want to talk about my own intersectionality first. So mm -hmm. you know how I'm approaching this conversation. So I am a white, cis, heterosexual woman. I live in a larger body 
but I'm still smaller than the average American woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm middle class. I am married. And for a lot of my life, also um, had the unearned privileges of being pretty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, mine is very uh, similar to that. <laughs> I am, <clears throat> I'm also white, cis, heterosexual, married to a man. Um, I live in a larger body, but like Kara, um, still not as large as the average American body, uh, female body. And um, yeah. So regarding body privileges, talk a little bit more about like what sort of body privileges do you experience like on a daily basis? So on a daily basis, like I'm also able-bodied, so I can get into basically any store or business or, you know, place that I would like to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have to worry about wheelchair access or things like that. Mm -hmm. I, um, most of the time I can find clothes that fit me in a regular store. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, I am, I'm not, I'm not called out for my body on social media unless I'm making waves. Mm -hmm. So like I'm, I can post things on social media constantly about fitness and things like that. And nobody calls me fat until I say something about like racism, Mm -hmm. homophobia or fat phobia. And then, then I get people popping up in my DMS or the comments and been like, well, of course you would say that because you're fat. Right. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, so I'm kind of in this like weird middle where for the fitness industry, I'm fat, right? Like I, um, if you Google fit like women's fitness and then like click images, you're not going to see someone that looks like Jill or I, right. Or if you do, they're like a before picture Uh or they're like the trainee with a fit trainer with abs standing behind them, you know, like it's not, we're not the average body. And so in the fitness industry, we are often not taken seriously because we don't look the part Mm -hmm. the way that the fitness industry has created these hierarchies. Right. Um, The justice Williams of fitness for all bodies coined this term, uh, the fitness industrial complex. Uh And the way that he uses it is like this, the fitness industry has, has decided what are good or bad bodies Mm -hmm. and then created hierarchies in order to create this need, which Mm -hmm. gives capitalism a run, right? Like once you can say like these bodies are bad and these bodies are good, then people are always trying to get to those good bodies and will spend a ton of money in order to get to those bodies. Mm -hmm. But it does not at any turn really take into consideration what someone knows or sees people for all their intersecting identities, Mm -hmm. because there's not a lot of money in we'll meet you where you are. Let's have fun with fitness. Like there's, that's not, there's not a ton of money in that. So yeah, so I, I definitely have body privilege. And so for me to, I talk a lot about the oppression I feel in my body, but a lot of that comes from living in this body in the fitness industry. Right. Yeah. Because bodies are scrutinized in the fitness industry. Um, I mean, they are, they are everywhere, but especially in the fitness industry. 
but yeah, so I similarly, um, I'm able-bodied as well. Um, my body privilege on a daily basis, I can, I can go into a store, I can fit into car seats, I can fit into booths at restaurants, I can, you know, I can go from A to B and not feel like I'm being followed with every pair of eyes because of my body size. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you were talking about, um, you know, aging and feeling like you're losing some of that, um, attractiveness and being treated differently, I have felt the same way, like the, like I'm older and larger than I used to be. And so, um, like if I go into a grocery store, like I don't, I'm not getting that, like, attention that I used to get. And it's really eye opening to me because one, like it was a privilege to get that attention Two, having that sort of attention. Um, if you go back to like some of our previous episodes, we talk about the history of racism and fat phobia and living in larger <clears throat> bodies, you'll see that that's just patriarchal bullshit. Um, so wanting that or feeling validated in that in the first place makes me feel bad. <laughs> But I know better now, right? So I can do better. Um, but yeah, so, and I was also thinking about, um, thinking about your, my perception of how people view me and how that makes me feel. And if you think about it, like your perception of your own body and how other people view your body and whether or not their judgment has any um, ownership over you can also affect like, mm -hmm your everyday life. Like maybe you don't go out to restaurants. Maybe you turn down invitations to go, you know, swimming with friends during the summer, like things like that. It does, it does have a large impact on, on body, body privilege and how you view yourself. And in turn creates more stress and in turn puts more stress on your body. Right. And let's talk about what this stress does. So like, the fitness industry has defined good bodies as thin bodies. Mm -hmm. And most of us would just kind of just take it like, of course, a thin body is a healthier body then, right? Um, because the fitness industry is all about health, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Um, and so if we think that like a thinner body is a healthier body, first of all, that's not necessarily true. Right. In fact, you're talking about getting bigger as you get older, which is actually a biological protective thing. Like people who do get bigger as they get older are more likely to survive illnesses as they get older. Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of research on uh, on obesity being a protective quality mm -hmm. um, for health risks, especially as you age. So. Um, but we see it as like, oh, it's this terrible thing. Like, like, oh God, we're fat. So now we're not healthy and we're viewed as not being healthy. Like fat has all this like lazy fat, like, um, but not, not lazy and fat. Cause that's what I'm describing. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> did it. Unmotivated, um, you know, like eat eats whatever they want. There's an assumption that people who are in larger bodies don't exercise and right. none of that is true. Mm -hmm. So, um, so the, the things that actually are independent, um, factors of causation for a lot of these, um, poor health outcomes that we tend to associate with being in a larger body is stress. Mm -hmm. And those same, that same stress is magnified with these intersectional identities. Mm -hmm. Like if I were also black 
and gay, I would be getting like tenfold the stress in my same body as I would if I were myself heterosexual and white. Right. Yep. Um, One of the nuances that I really wanted to talk about today, because both Jill and I have experienced it in different ways, is um, the the idea of passing. Yes. I, speaking of, we had a donut box walking by <laughs> my husband's couch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> put that on the table. You just got billboard. way sexier. Yeah, you did. Like, <laughs> so, back to the issue. So, um, so I have a, a son who is a quarter black and depending on the situation, he very much passes most often as white. Mm-hmm. And as his mom, who is also a white woman who he lives with 90% of the time, it is, I'm constantly aware of ways that I can help honor his identity as a growing black man mm-hmm. and also talk to him about his privilege um, as a passing black man in almost every situation. Um, yeah. Which is really hard because I can see it um, that there is an, an aspect of his personality that it kind of wants to fit in to, you know, to basically there's, there's always this, this thing where it's like, I'm not black enough. Right. But I'm also not white enough. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so helping a teenager navigate that. (laughs) (laughs) Go get the donuts. Right. (laughs) So, so, um, so that's something that I'm super aware of is this nuance of passing where I don't want, um, I want him to be aware of it, but I also don't want to be insensitive to, to his identity as we discuss it. Yeah, that is a really tricky thing to navigate. Um, so my part of my heritage, a very small part, <laughs> um, as my generation anyway, um, is being Native American. I am officially a part of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. Um, And as you go up uh, or go down back through my family tree, you can really see the Native American in my grandma and my great grandma even more so and and those before her. Um, But when you get to me, I, I'm white. (laughs) My mom, my mother's white. Um, My dad has the, um, the Choctaw on his side, but even like in my dad, you can see it a little bit, but not really. So, you know, being a part of like, it's really tricky because I want to be, I want to like immerse myself in that culture, but I also don't want to like be insensitive to those who are like more full-blooded native Americans because they're, they're living in that body and are immersed in that culture 
all day, every day, because they can't change the color of their skin. They can't change like their, their bone structure and the ways that they look like, and for me, like I can go to, you know, maybe a powwow. And then when I go home, I'm white. Right. So it's like, (laughs) that's part of that intersecting, um, identity and part of that, uh, privilege. And so when we, when we're talking, having these conversations about privilege too, it can be really tempting to like, when you're feeling backed into a corner and aren't like willing or able to lean into the discomfort of being called out to be like, but you know, I'm native American, mm-hmm. you know, or I, you know, I haven't done that, but I, I know people who have <laughs> we know someone who's done that. We know someone who's done that. <laughs> so it can be when we don't recognize the privileges we do have, um, it can be really tempting to sort of pull out the ways in which you do experience oppression. And it's not that we don't think it's, it's worthwhile to talk about the ways that you experience oppression, but in this situation that we're talking about, this particular person doesn't, doesn't live with that kind of oppression. Um, This was a white man who does have native American in his, in his heritage. um, But that isn't really, um, it's not a part of, of his everyday life. It's not a part of like, like he doesn't, there's no rituals or, or anything like that involved in, in having that heritage. Um, but yeah. So, and so the situation, I'll just explain the situation. Okay. I had posted something about racism on my feed and this person popped on to disagree and a conversation ensued in which I pointed out that he was coming from a place of privilege as a white, at least white passing man. And that I challenged him to look at the situation a little differently. So if he was walking around in the world in darker skin Mm -hmm. or married to another man. And at that point he pulled out the like, well, I have a feather I'm, um, and, and when he did that, it felt like that was his way of just shutting everything down Mm -hmm. instead of continuing a conversation. Cause the, I think it was too scary for him at that time to really look at his intersecting identities Mm -hmm. and recognize his privileges And he took it as a personal attack on him for me to say that someone else had, it had experienced oppression because everyone is the same. All lives matter. It's not, you know, which when you say that you really just deny people their own identities. And, um, yes. And so that was the context and it was, it's really tricky because as soon as he said, you know, as soon as he kind of came out and said, well, this is my, this is my Native American identity. It was, it was really hard for me to know how to respond while Mm -hmm. honoring his identity, but also still saying like, okay, but you're still, you're still a, you're still living your life as a white man in a heterosexual relationship. So yeah, I, I wanted to speak to that as well. Like the, the mic drop, so to speak on this person's um, 
behalf was, well, I have an eagle feather and it's illegal for you to have one. So, you know, there. And yeah, that's true. I mean, I have one too, but I also like, <laughs> I also know that that doesn't really um, absolve me from taking responsibility for understanding my own privileges. Neither does your proximity to blackness. Jill, I think that that's so important because that was something that I did for a long time. Mm -hmm. I was married to a black man. I had a mixed child, have a mixed child. And I was like, I can't be racist if I, you know, love someone who is black. Right. And that is absolutely not true. All of, I mean, so, so it, it does not absolve you from doing the work and recognizing your own privilege because I was yes. in that same spot where I was like, well, don't come at me because clearly I have, you know, <clears throat> I'm, right. I'm in with the black people, you know, which is just <laughs> like, right and that was and that's just not the case there is there's still a lot of work to be done um and the thing with doing the work on like recognizing your privilege or working on being anti-racist is that you don't have to be like you don't have to say like I've never been racist or I've right. never I had racist thoughts or you can even recognize that you still have racist thoughts that you need to work on mm -hmm. um but it is the process of trying to eradicate those thoughts and feelings and do the work. It's so interesting to me too. Like, you know, I was thinking that I was drawing a parallel to that as you were talking, like so many times when we grow up with, um, grow up with situations that are not ideal, um, we always go, not always, but we sometimes go into our adulthood and you're like, I'm not going to repeat the past. I'm not doing that. I'm breaking the cycle. Why is it so hard for people to break the cycle of racism? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's just as important, if not more important than breaking the cycle of a, you know, a troubled childhood. Mm -hmm. It was so interesting because this came up yesterday when I was in class. I'm taking a fitness for all bodies um, six week course right now. And we were talking about this in our small groups about like what our first identities were. And there was a woman who um, she works with teens. She does like a queer pop up Zumba class. And she was like, I decided that when it comes to fat phobia and talking to other children about their bodies, that it stops with me, that I am not going to be the person ever to criticize a child's body. And we don't even realize that we do this. I, um, I remember like it was a couple summers ago. I'm, you know, as a mom, I have so much pride in my children's bodies like I just can sit there and stare at Oliver's eyelashes for like mm. an hour or you know just kind of I have all these these the, these things about like how beautiful you know Diedrich's face is and things like that and I found myself at the pool a couple summers ago judging my son's growing body mm. like oh gosh he's getting a little and I mean, I thank God I've never said anything to him, but it was so eye-opening as to my own 
ingrained weight bias Mm -hmm. as someone who really works hard at this shit, not only for my own self, but for my clients and speaking out to other people and like trying to like help, help people feel more like at home in their own bodies. I was sitting there thinking that my growing son needed to change something about his body. And, and so that, that was really eye opening. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I have this bias. Yeah. Where it's this, it's the same thing with racism or homophobia, like that you, when you, you recognize it and you're like, thank God I recognized that before something came out of my mouth. Yes, 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 yes. A thousand (laughs) times. Yes. And that's, that is why we keep having these hard conversations. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that you just spoke about that. Like you, like you said it, it's out there, you learn from it, you're examining that and continuing to work on that. Like, that's, that's how change comes. That's how change comes by leaning into the discomfort of recognizing your own biases and privileges and just being okay with being uncomfortable. Like once you, once you arrive there, being uncomfortable becomes a little bit more comfortable if you you know what I mean. And just being okay with being called out and being okay with, you know, all of these things, um, create, uh, are working toward creating a better change, a better world, Mm -hmm. a better, uh, society for our children and their children. So, Mm -hmm. you know, do the work, Yeah. I mean, I already feel like even just in this conversation that I've already said things, not exactly how I wanted to say them. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely welcome for any of you listening to say something to me about it. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like, I could have said that better or my bias was showing there. And so like, we're not, we're not expecting perfection of ourselves and we don't expect perfection of you. Like if we ever have gotten into it on social media (laughs) or in real life, like, I hope that, I hope that, you know, that we don't expect you to think exactly like us. Of course not. No. Or for you to present it perfectly out in society because we absolutely do not. Um, so what we hope is that everyone is trying to do a little bit better every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's all that we have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the push podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button, comment, review. The more subscriptions we get, the further up we get in the podcast arena and the more visibility we get so we can find more listeners just like you. Yep. See you later. Bye. And can I just say that your example of going into a grocery store is killing me. What? Because you never go into a grocery store. You know you you don't. (laughs) I did. Two days ago. Oh my god! I'll have you know. Oh, you're and you survived it. I got a little anxious when I couldn't find the Waterloo. <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> <laughs>